You're listening to Trinity Fremont's Sermon Podcast, where you can hear God's Word preached each and every week. Our purpose at Trinity is to raise up Christ's followers in our families and in our communities. We pray that as you listen to this week's sermon, you'll be encouraged and equipped to live out your faith in all that you do. So my question for you today is, what is the gospel? Right? As this is a Lutheran church, we talk about law and gospel all the time. So what is the gospel? If someone were to come up to you today and ask you that question, what's the gospel, how would you respond? And how would you answer that question? Well, the Greek word, because I like Greek, the Greek word there is oiangelion. Can you say that? Oiangelion. There you go. Greek scholars. Here we go. Uh, so, so that word literally means good news, right? Good news. The gospel is good news. And, and we actually get the term gospel, we get our English word gospel from the old English word God's spell, meaning, surprise, good news, right? The, the, the good news. But, but what good news? Right? Is, it, is it the good news of the Husker recruiting successes this past weekend or this past week? Is it the good news that maybe you passed a test that you've been studying really hard for? Is it, is it good news that you got a job or that you got a raise? Is it good news that it's going to be in the 50s or maybe even 60 this week? Or is it the good news that you don't have to make lunch today because somebody else made it for you? Right? Those, all of those are certainly pieces of good news, but are they gospel good news? Well, if we're going to ask a question that's a, a biblical question, maybe we should take a look and see what the Bible says about it, right? How does the, the Bible use this word? Well, we get a glimpse of it in Isaiah chapter 40, uh, but, but just to be clear, in the Old Testament, the, the Old Testament's written in Hebrew, and this word oiangelion is, is Greek, and so that's from the New Testament, so it's not the exact same word because it's a different language, but take a look at Isaiah 40 verse 9. It says, go up to a high mountain, O Zion, herald of good news. Lift up your voice with strength, O Jerusalem, herald of good news. Lift it up, fear not. Say to the cities of Judah, behold your God. And so as, as we hear that there's this herald that's supposed to go out and tell of this good news, well, what's, what's, what's he supposed to say? He's supposed to say, behold your God. And then for the rest of this chapter, the prophet Isaiah goes on to tell of the greatness of their God. And so for Isaiah, the good news is look at how great your God is. Look at how awesome your God is. The good news is, is the awesomeness of your God. Well, then we, we move into the New Testament, and we see it right away in the very beginning of the book of Mark. Uh, the, the gospel of Mark, as we call it. Mark 1, verse 1, where we read the beginning of the gospel, the oiangelion of Jesus Christ, the Son of God. So the gospel of Mark, the very beginning, and the, the entirety of the gospel is, is the story of Jesus. Right? Those first four books, Matthew, Mark, and Luke, and John, those first four books of the New Testament, we call them the gospels because they are, they are the story of Jesus. They tell us about who Jesus was and what he did. And so we start with this broad definition of Isaiah, but that the good news is how awesome our God is, and, and then Mark starts to narrow it for us, that this gospel good news is, is the life of Jesus. 
But then Paul narrows it down for us even more. And so take a look at, at 1 Corinthians 15. And so if we start at the very beginning of, of verse 1, we start to see that he talks about this, this gospel. And then as he's talking about this gospel, he gets to verse, verse 3 where he says, For I delivered to you as of first importance what I also received. I, which again, he's referring back to that, that gospel, that oiangelion that he's speaking of. And so here's what he received. That Christ died for our sins in accordance with the Scriptures, that He was buried, that He was raised on the third day in accordance with the Scriptures, and that He appeared to Cephas. And then Paul goes on to list a number of other people that, that the risen Lord Jesus Christ appeared to. And so for Paul, as he narrows down our definition, the gospel is the death and resurrection of Jesus for the forgiveness of your sins. All right, so what's the gospel? The gospel is, is the good news of the death and resurrection of Jesus for the forgiveness of your sins. And Paul says that this is of, of first importance. It's the most important thing that we can talk about. And he also says that, that this is done in accordance with the Scriptures. Now, what does that phrase mean? Because I always thought that was weird that as I was reading the Bible, it would say, now this happened in accordance with the Scriptures. It's like, this is the Scriptures, why is it talking about this? Well, for Paul and for Jesus and for all of those peoples of that, uh, of that day, when they talk about the Scriptures, they're really talking about the Old Testament. So we could even, for us today, we could even transfer and trade words and say that the death of Jesus, the resurrection of Jesus, was done in accordance with the Old Testament. And so how is that done? Well, there are multiple Old Testament prophecies. There are multiple Old Testament psalms that predict the death of Jesus. And we could spend probably an hour talking about different passages that predict that Jesus was going to die, like Isaiah 53 and the suffering servant passage, along with the passages that prophesied the, the situation surrounding the death of Jesus, the way in which Jesus died, even the words that Jesus spoke on the cross, like Psalm 22 that starts with, my God, my God, why have you forsaken me? Right? That's how Jesus that's how Jesus, that's what he says on the cross, and that's a direct quote from Psalm 22. The death of Jesus did not happen by accident. It didn't happen by chance. It was part of the plan from before Jesus was even born. And not only was the death of Jesus in accordance with the Old Testament, but so was the resurrection of Jesus. However, these passages are, are not quite as obvious Right, there's a passage in Psalm 16 that says, Therefore my heart is glad and my whole being rejoices. My flesh also dwells secure. For you will not abandon my soul to Sheol or let, my ho or let your Holy One see corruption. Right, to, a, to a Jewish person or, or, or an Israelite reading this, this psalm would have been about preserving someone from death, from, from avoiding death, not necessarily rising from the dead. But as Christians, as we read that, that's why we have to, when we look back to the Old Testament, we have to read it with what I call Jesus-colored glasses. And I, I've talked to a number of people who like to read books only once, right? They read the book, and then they're like, yeah, I'm done with that book. I, I've read it. I'm good. Uh, but that's, that's not me. When I, when I find a book or a story that I really, really love, I want to read it over and over again. And I've, I've made this comment a couple times, but for me recently, that's been the Harry Potter series. Like, I, I get to the end of it, which I just finished book seven last week, and I'm ready to jump back into book one and just read the story. Because knowing the ending affects how I read 
the beginning. And that's true for all books, right? No, or, or even movies. Knowing the ending affects how you read or how you watch the beginning, right? Maybe it's a, a comment that's made at the beginning of the book that might seem really unimportant. But then once you know the whole story, that comment is seen in a whole new light, and it just makes you go, whoa, that was awesome, right? That's how we read the Old Testament, with Jesus-colored glasses knowing the end of the story, the gospel, the, the good news of the death and resurrection of Jesus was all done in accordance with the Old Testament. But how do we know? I mean, how do we really know that Jesus rose from the dead? Well, actually, the, the Apostle Thomas had the exact same question. Even, even after Jesus had appeared to the other disciples, Thomas struggled to believe that Jesus was truly alive again. So take a look at John chapter 20, starting with verse 24. It says, now, now Thomas, one of the twelve called the twin, was not with them, was not with the other disciples when Jesus came. And so the other disciples told him, we have seen the Lord. But he said, unless I, I see uh, in his hands the marks of the nails and place my finger into the mark of the nails and place my hand into his side, I will never believe. Well, eight days later, his disciples were inside again, and Thomas was with them. And although the doors were locked, Jesus came and stood among them and said, Peace be with you. And then he said to Thomas, Put your finger here and see my hands. Put out your hand and, and place it in my side. Do not disbelieve, but believe. And Thomas answered, My Lord and my God. Right? Thomas wasn't quite convinced that the that this really could have been happening, that, that, that he could really believe something so incredible as the resurrection of Jesus. He watched him die. How could, how could Jesus be alive again? And so Jesus appeared to Thomas in the flesh. And Thomas put his fingers in the holes of Jesus' hands and sides. And Thomas believed and he cries out, again, my Lord, my God, it really is you. But take a look at what Jesus says to Thomas after Thomas declares his, his belief. In verse 29, Jesus says, have you believed because you've seen me? Well, blessed are those who have not seen and yet have believed, right? Blessed are those who have not seen and yet have believed. That's, that's you. That's me. And that's actually the, the people that, that Paul is writing to in, in, in Corinth, right? Because they too have not seen the physical evidence of the resurrection of Jesus, so how, you know, so we're like them. So what does Paul say to them, those who have not actually seen the risen Jesus? Well, Paul again says that this risen Jesus appeared to, to Cephas, who we better know as Peter, and then to the twelve, and then he appeared to more than 500 brothers at one time, most of whom are still alive, though some have fallen asleep. And then he appeared to James, and then to all the apostles, and last of all, as to one untimely born, he appeared also to me. Right, Jesus appeared to hundreds of people, most of whom were still alive at the time that Paul was writing this letter. Right, again, because the church in Corinth hadn't seen the risen Jesus either. They were in the same boat that we are. So Paul tells them of all of these eyewitnesses accounts, eyewitness accounts. Now, now in that time, uh, if, if someone were brought before court and they, there was a, a punishment or there was a dispute in, in, how, in what actually happened, three witnesses would have been sufficient. If three witnesses gave the same story, that would have been sufficient to prosecute or to set someone free. Here we have hundreds 
of people. And again, at this, at this time, Paul's saying that, that most of them are still alive, all willing to die rather than change their story. Right? Some of them who died because they refused to change their story because they knew the gospel, right? They, they knew that Jesus had died and rose again for the forgiveness of their sins, and, and that changes their life. And not only their life, but it changes their death. Now, if you've heard me preach, especially during this series, you know that I love to ask the question of how the resurrection of Jesus affects your life today. And I think that's an important question. Again, that's the question that we've been focusing on throughout this season of Epiphany, but, but the resurrection of Jesus doesn't only affect your today. The resurrection of Jesus affects your tomorrow, and it affects all of your eternity. Take a look at 1 Corinthians chapter 15, verse 20. That's kind of the end of this section that we're looking at today. It says this, because Paul spends this really confusing section of Scripture saying, well, what if, you know, what if you don't believe that he is risen from the dead, or if you don't believe that others rise from the dead, and it gets really confusing in there. But finally, Paul kind of puts an exclamation on the point on the end of it and says, but in fact, Christ has been raised from the dead, the first fruits of those who have fallen asleep, right? Christ is risen. He is risen indeed. Hallelujah. Right, and not only is he risen from the dead, but he is the, the first fruits of those who have fallen asleep in faith. Right, just as, as the head of the body has already risen, so too will the rest of the body. But in fact, Christ has been raised from the dead, the first fruits of those who have fallen asleep in accordance with the scriptures. Right, Jesus, as we just sang, is our living hope. Jesus is your living hope. Jesus is your sure and certain confidence that because he has risen from the dead, that those who have faith in him will rise again to new life. On that last day, in an instant, at the twinkling of an eye at the last trumpet, the dead in Christ will be raised imperishable, and we shall all be changed. This is good news, right? This is the gospel, and this gospel, this good news is not just for you and me to hold on to, to keep inside these walls. This is good news for all people. Last night, my wife got home from uh, the pastor, a pastor's wives retreat, uh, and while, we, while she was there, the district president, President Snow, uh, did, did a Q&A so anybody could ask questions, and one of the questions that was asked was, you know, what's a strength and what's a weakness of our churches here in the Nebraska district. He said well, that one of our biggest strengths is that we're a church body filled with people who are kind and loving and caring for others. But he said that our biggest weakness is that often we're reluctant to share the gospel with others. I guess my question for you today is when's the last time that you shared the gospel with someone? When's the last time that you told someone about the, the death and resurrection of Jesus for the forgiveness of all of their sins? Because honestly, they are craving to hear it. Uh, the main st speaker at Stacy's conference last, uh, this weekend, uh, she, during the day, she struck up a conversation with a man at their hotel who was rather obviously living a lifestyle that was contrary to God's design. And as she was having that conversation, she didn't start with a conversation by telling the man that he was the sinner destined for hell. But in the midst of that conversation, she looked him in the eye and told him that he is fearfully and wonderfully made, and that he matters. He matters in the eyes of God, and he matters to her. 
And, and with tears in his eyes, he told her that he has been searching his entire life to hear those words. Well, if you've never heard those words, may I speak those to you today. You matter. Right? You are fearfully and wonderfully made, and you matter in my eyes, and you matter in the eyes of God. And your neighbor matters as well. And so does, so does the guy at the front desk of your hotel lobby matter. Every person matters so much that in accordance with the scriptures, Jesus died and rose again for the forgiveness of all of their sins. And every person needs to hear that. So who are you going to tell the gospel to this week? Well, my prayer for you this week is that God would very obviously put someone in front of you this week that needs to hear the gospel, that needs to hear of the, the good news of the death and resurrection of Jesus in their lives. And I pray that then with boldness you would proclaim that gospel, that Jesus died and rose again for the forgiveness of all of their sins, that, that they matter to God because their eternity depends on it. May the gospel May the good news of the death and resurrection of Jesus affect your today, affect your tomorrow, and affect your eternity. And may it affect your neighbors as well. Because in fact, Christ has been raised from the dead, the first fruits of those who have fallen asleep. Christ is risen. He is risen indeed. Hallelujah. Amen. All right, and now may God's peace be with you as, as that risen Lord and Savior, Jesus Christ, uh, goes with you. And may his gospel message go with you this week, this week as well. Amen.